0: Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business
1: and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by Your Podcast Team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray.
0: Welcome to the Podcasting Stories podcast. My name is David Spray, and today we're talking with Spencer Horn a public speaker and entrepreneur from Salt Lake City, Utah. Through Spencer's experience as a leadership trainer, keynote speaker, and podcast host, he has a wealth of insights and lessons learned around authentic leadership. We talk about some great case studies of clients who he has worked with and comments that he has received from event attendees who felt that his work and his talk was life-changing and life-affirming. Spencer brings a servant leader perspective to everything he does, and he's a really interesting guy to listen to. If you've ever considered a speaking career, launching a new podcast, or improving the podcast you already have, Spencer has some great insights. So let's get to the show. Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Good to be here. Yeah, it is great to have you here. So where are you calling from today? I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, specifically Bountiful, just
1: north, barely, of Salt Lake City.
0: I love that part of the the world. I've been out there many times. I've been to southern Utah. I've been skiing there in Park City. and What a delightful part of the country. Are you a native of Utah? I am, you know, I'm actually
1: first generation. My father came from Germany, my mother Canada, but they they moved here specifically and settled here. So this is where I was born, and and I've lived all over. I just recently moved back from Las Vegas, so uh, not a stranger to to heat like you are in Houston. Yeah, you, you know what it is to escape and get up into the mountains. I I love the mountains. I I just love. I almost run every day. And I say, you know, four to five times I'm up in trails, whether it's snowing, raining, whatever, mountain biking, skiing in the winter, like you, I just, I love to be out in in the mountains. And and as we were talking beforehand, I'm actually headed up the mountains right after we get off this call.
0: That is awesome. I think that John Muir summarized it best. The mountains are calling and I must go. Yep. And I've been in his, you know,
1: up in the Sierras and all kinds of places that are named after John, but he loved the outdoors and I I agree with him.
0: It's really amazing what he accomplished a hundred years ago or more with the technology of the time, the lack of GPS, no trails, you know, he was truly trailblazing and it's really amazing that he was so successful in such harsh environments frequently all by
1: himself. I, you know, I I can't even imagine that. I mean, I've gone up to, you know, John Muir uh, trails up there by it's kind of, I think it's duck Lake kind of up above mammoth, you know, and just going in in those areas there and we drive there in comfort in our beautiful cars, right? We have all the gear and we hop in and out. And, but I just, I can't even imagine what it was like to get in and out of those places a hundred years ago.
0: Yep, for sure. Well, okay. Well, let's talk about Altium Leadership. So, I think you founded this about six years ago. Uh, tell us about it. What's uh, what's it? What's the purpose? Why does it exist? You know, th-
1: thank you. Uh, Altium Leadership. Our focus is on team and executive performance, and. Where that came from is just my experience in working with businesses, clients, executives, really all over the world. And I find that one of the most impactful things that can happen in an organization is to work on on the leadership skills, the communication skills. You know you can have an incredible strategy, you can have you know great financial plans, you can have you know all this uh, technical experience and data and, and equipment. But if the team is not working well together, all of those assets are are neutralized. And so I feel like this is an area that can have you know incredible return on investment of of time and, and energy and money for the business. And I've seen just, you know, great things happen in you know not too long of of a period of time when people get focused on team and, and individual performance. Mm-hmm.
0: So I always like the the case study method for learning stuff. Could you give us like just a quick example of a client you've worked with? You can, they can be anonymous, but that just gives people kind of a flavor of uh, what that experience is like. Uh, So
1: sure. I mean, just there's lots, but one that comes to mind, it was, uh, you know, a couple years ago, I, I was living in Las Vegas and I get a call from an acquaintance that happens to serve on, on several boards. And they reached out to me and said, you know, anonymously there's a client that has a, a, a challenge and a problem that, that needs helping. And can you help? And they had someone in house that they were, were working with. that wasn't quite working out. And, and so told me a little bit about the problem. And I then reached out to the the CEO of the organization and we had, a, had a conversation and we decided to get the executive team together and, First of all, we did an assessment of the organization from that executive team's perspective. There was a tremendous amount, David, of of distrust and dysfunction on the team, and it was to the level that it was really preventing progress and, and success. And so, we did the assessments, I, and then I met with some of these individuals one on one before we get all together because you know coming having somebody from the outside when you're stressed and you're anxious and and there's a lack of trust can be very difficult. And so very quickly was able to build that trust and get to know them. And we did a a day and a half team, executive team coaching retreat. And it's an extremely powerful process to be able to kind of crack open what is going on in, in the organization, starting at the executive level. And it enables you to very quickly address situations and challenges, you know, you can do individual coaching and then, you know, those individuals will go back to the organization and you don't get everybody's perspective. But when you get everybody in the room, there's no way to say, well, he said, she said, it's all happening right then and there. And so you can make very quick shifts. So after a a day and a half, there was enormous shifts and we were able to then follow that up over time. And, you know, two years later, it's, it's amazing to see the organization Come through that and blossom and, and grow and really transform, and that's extremely rewarding for me.
0: I would um, imagine. Yeah. And so, trust is higher, engagement, collegiality—all those things are higher now, huh? But, correct.
1: And, and David, it doesn't just happen from you know a day and a half. I mean, there's setup. There's that's the kind of the kickoff, and but then you have to back that up with continued progress right i mean so sometimes you you go backwards and there are challenges that you have to address and that can be done you don't have to get together and do a huge retreat again but you can but it's you know here and there you know we meet occasionally we we follow up and if there's a problem then we address that and my goal though is to teach them how to be able to solve some of those own problems because quite frankly i mean most problems that organizations have are people problems and unfortunately you know, most of leaders don't really know how to handle those. I travel all over the country, actually all over the world. And one of the most, the skills that I get asked to help executives with the most, for example, is delegation. You'd think that would be something that leaders know how to do they don't they, they just how to let go of things how to talk to their teams how to empower their teams something as simple as delegation and coaching their teams is nothing that they've ever learned before and so that's an that that's a, a different type of skill but my point is that so many smart talented you know brilliant
0: executives struggle when it comes to managing their teams Hmm. i have seen that firsthand um as employees and organizations and from an outsider looking at looking at clients. So let's talk a bit more about the public speaking part of your career. Okay. When did that part of your career kick off? Or, or was that something from the time you were five, you were giving uh, state of the <laughs> union speeches in, in class? How did that all start? No, no, thank you.
1: I, I have not been. I, I remember the first time I spoke. It was probably when I was five, David. It was in what we call primary in in church. Maybe I was a little bit older, but we we would get up to the the podium in church and we'd have to give a talk that we'd prepared. And you know, maybe a parent is behind you or something. In this case, i I, I stood on the little stool to get up to the microphone. And David, I cried for probably four minutes and said nothing. And I sat back down, and I remember just sitting in my chair going, (laughs) you know, and I couldn't stop that little, you know, gasping. And and so, no, that was my first, uh, probably, public speaking venture. I started speaking in 2009 for a very specific reason. In 2008, probably the, the first time in a long time, I was not employed. I'd moved to Las Vegas to run an organization and after about a year and a half that opportunity ended and and i was looking for for the next one and i was introduced to a leadership training and development company and i started in march of 2008 and what immediately happened was you know the, the last great recession and the company sales when it comes to a recession outside training you know these are these were two and a half day retreats so it was you would send your people to us in Las Vegas we would take them up into our we had a compound out in the desert 70 acres it was absolutely amazing brilliant place but People stopped that immediately, so our sure. share cut in half overnight, and the the company was in crisis. And I was hired to do organizational development training just because of my my corporate experience. And you know, I'd been a vice president of a publicly traded company, worked with major organizations like National Geographic, Radio City Music Hall, and other organizations like the IMAX Corporation, Disney Films, and so. They asked me that they're like Spencer, we need you to sell. And so I switched from the training because we didn't have as much training. So I it was not a good time to find another job. And I started selling. Now, the problem was, is that their selling methodology was completely based on referrals. And so if you went to one of these two and a half day training seminars, it was so impactful that when you came back, you were almost under the ether so much, all we had to do is say, who do you know else from your company or anyone else that you want to send? And they'd be like, here, you talk to this person. And so everybody had a little book of business that they could grow and and continue this little process on. I didn't have a book of business. There was no way to refer And all of their selling strategies and methodologies were based on, you know, a a script and their salespeople were not consultative. They were just following a, a closing process that a lot of you know, salespeople do. And that just wouldn't work for me because it it didn't, I didn't have that option. And so I had to figure out a way to create a pipeline of business. And one of the strategies that I came up with was to get on stages as an expert in the areas that, that we talked about, you know, leadership, communication, emotional intelligence. And so that's when I started speaking. My, my first paid speaking, uh, Job was in 2009 to an organization in California. The California Army National Guard hired me for 20 minutes to give a keynote speech for $2,000. And I wrote my keynote speech. I had no slides. This was a black tie gala event, so they were all in their military you know, black tie uniform mm-hmm. and, and I'm on the stage and that takes a little bit of uh, confidence. And, it, you know, I, I had about two weeks to prepare and, and to memorize that. And that was my very first really paid speaking engagement. But the idea was to get on this on the stage such that you created enough credibility and value mm-hmm. and relevance that people would reach out to you. It's a different type of sales process It's actually where we have developed our sales in today's market, it's so much more about adding relevance and value rather than closing and, and uh, you know, let me slam the door and, and get you in this program here. It is, let me help you. Let me show value and give relevance. And then they reach out to, to you. And so that was the idea was to cr- back in 2009 to create more of a pull type of uh, pipeline in
0: to generate clients. That's that's awesome. Necessity is the mother of invention. Did you did you cry for less than four minutes on, on that <laughs> talk? <laughs> no, but I I spend a lot of time just you know uh,
1: practicing and, and stressing and obsessing over over that and you know and I don't know that it was great, but it, this is thirteen years later you know, after working with this company and, you know, I did other trainings and that's considered public speaking, but to stand on the stage and give a keynote is very different than coaching or training or doing a workshop. Sure. You know, know, there's so many people that consider themselves public speakers or keynoters. And, um, it's, it's, I don't know that some of them are, and I don't know that everything I've done has been that I have learned there's so much more to, to the speaking business. And it's, I love it. It's fascinating. And so I am after 13 years, I'm actually developing into that keynote side more than I have in the past. Oh, that's,
0: that's great. Do you, what's the largest crowd you've ever spoken to approximately? 2,300. Wow. That's a good sized, it's uh, a good sized group. You know, there are people that <laughs> I,
1: I'm on the board of the National Speakers Association, my local chapter here in the Mountain West, and we have some absolutely amazing speakers. And there are speakers in this chapter that speak in front of stadiums, you know, of 20,000 MGM Grand, you know, or, or they just they fill houses and they are that there's just there's so
0: many levels of speakers in, in the industry. It's really amazing well, and the late Steve Covey, I imagine, was in that same um, region, right? Because wasn't he in Utah?
1: You know, that's a a, a, a great observation. He was absolutely somebody, David, that had an enormous following and could certainly fill large stadiums. You know, I don't remember that that's what he did. I think he was more, his shtick was really more corporate.
0: Oh, Okay
1: and he would go to speak to large corporate events for sure you know within within an organization and you know there the covey organization is still going super strong and you know i don't know th- that you would consider him your, you know your typical keynote speaker it was this was all about you know his methodologies because they wanted to get in and use the covey system and, and right. built you know speed of trust and all those other things that his his son developed and you know they have programs for organizations to follow which is smart so instead of just giving a keynote you know you've got an entire program of services
0: suite of services that you are working on with a client well so thank you, thank you for that. To what I do yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for that clarification. I just uh, assumed that he that he must have done a lot of keynote type speaking, but as I think through their, his business, what I know about it, that makes sense that, that they would be mostly you know corporate talks and you know smaller venues
1: yeah i mean you got you have people like uh jason hewlett here he's a huge entertainer uh ty bennett leadership training chad hymus you know these guys are you know they go in front of large organizations and uh, just captivate people because it, it, keynoting is more than just giving the lecture or you know it is entertaining and it's, mm-hmm. it's edutainment if you want to you know, right, be real about it. You're not just showing a bunch of slides. You are talking. You're you are being relevant and adding value. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle with the speaking industry because they depend on their slides. And especially in this virtual world, I see so many speakers. They get in this little box while they're sharing their slides, and you're just not
0: making an impact. Right. Okay. Well. That's that's great. Does one is there one speech that really stands out that you gave that you really that just stands out for whatever reason, either the impact you felt you had, or you just really brought your A game that day, or <laughs> people were lined up to to shake your hand and give you hugs afterwards. Does uh, one come to mind?
1: <laughs> you know that that. Thank you for for asking. I actually I, I gave. Two. Uh, I'll just talk recent history. I gave two keynotes yesterday. Um, one was in virtual; they're both virtual. One was in Cyprus, Nicosia, Cyprus, and the other one was nine different organizations all in the southeast. And uh, here are three comments that that I got from. You know, the, there's many comments. I just I just picked these threes out. But greatest PMI presentation. Over the past 20 years, that's one. And these were just in the, ch- this was just in the chat. Oh, so, wow. This from yesterday. I'm speechless, hands down the best. That person was, and they've given me permission to share these already because uh, I asked them, that was Brittany Perry, mm-hmm. the other one was Kevin. And here's, here's Sandy Valensky says, I have attended numerous EI presentations over the years. This tops them all. It was on, uh, it's called the neuroscience of of leadership. And uh, so- Wow, just,
0: that was just from yesterday. That's that's great. Did you have your A game or or is that how <laughs> every speech goes? Do you just do you uh, blow them away every time?
1: No, I I, I don't. It is not uh it, it is audiences are different. The energy sometimes is different. Sometimes the you know my preparation is different and I I changed something recently about this presentation because I felt like it's a process that is is you just you can't get stale and just share the same thing. Some people get up and it's just a rote presentation. Mm-hmm. So it's about being relevant, you know, and it's about, you know, people talk about connecting, but do, too often we talk about connecting. When you think about social media, for example, connecting is just, you know, getting likes and having people be a friend on, on social media. That's really no value. Right. Being relevant is having a connection that you actually... <laughs> Uh, get value from and give value to. So that's where I, I think we, you know, we really miss the, the, the boat in, in, speaking and, in social media and all this stuff is we're just so interested in quote unquote connecting and how many likes and connections we have that we're not connecting, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think it was, Harvard psychologist Amy Cuddy says, when people meet you, they judge you on two things. Number one, can I trust you? And number two, can I respect you? And another way to put that is warmth and and competence. And and if I were to ask you, what do you think is
0: most important? What would you choose? Is it uh, trust or respect? Well, the my tendency would be to say respect, but I'm going to choose trust. Because (laughs) without trust, none of the rest of it matters. You know, I
1: I would think that, in my experience, I I would think if I were to ask you know, 100 people, probably 60 percent of them, 70 percent of them would say respect, right? And that's why we're out there a lot of times pushing our value on people. Hey, you know, I can help you do this. That's connecting. Mm -hmm. But instead, doing what you did. You know, Spencer. Hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I'd like to to get to know you. Giving something that creates an opportunity for you to build trust, and uh, uh, think about it in an evolutionary mindset. I mean, if you were living, you know, ten thousand years ago, say if you believe that we lived back then, and caveman days, right? And you have your family, and you're living in your cave, and some. Strange cave dweller comes to your cave. I mean, do you really care how good they are at building fires? Right. That they're gonna kill your, kill you and steal your wife and kids and you know. <laughs> right. You have to earn the right to prove how competent you are, but that comes after the the trust. And so instead of the connection first, which is, hey, can I help you with this? Here's and I'm really good at it. It is. How are you? tell me about yourself. And then, so how do you do that from a stage? It's really tricky and it's being relevant. It's not pushing yourself out there on, Hey, you need to do this. It is, you know, and and so I've been working on how can I be more relevant to the audience so that they can hear and say, you know what? I have that exact same problem and I can relate to him or her. I'm going to talk to them afterwards. And frankly, that's been hard for me to get to because I'm naturally a connector. Here, do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have like almost 30,000 connections on LinkedIn of which 25,000 are useless mm-hmm. because I was so interested in connecting. So I'm telling you that I've made that mistake. Right. right. And I'm, I'm constantly unfollowing people that don't add value. So the idea is to give value and then you earn the right to to
0: demonstrate your you know, what you can do for them. What about authenticity? Is that a part of trust, authenticity, genuineness? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for, for sure. And I
1: but I also think that there's a there's an authenticity paradox. And sometimes what happens is that, you know, we feel that we have to behave in, in certain ways because that's quote unquote who we are. And, and I think that's a, a, a mistake. And, and I run into leaders all the time that are confused about what it means to be authentic. Um, you know, for, so, for the hard driving personality, it's like, well, this is just the way I am. Get over it. You, you just got to toughen up to deal with me. Well, think about what that personality really values. They value control, they value winning, they value bottom line results. The problem is how they're being, how they're behaving is actually preventing them from getting those bottom line results. That's the oh, paradox. Does that make that's sense? the par-
0: yep, that's the paradox. <laughs> so so they're the brutally they're they they might call themselves brutally honest. Right. And and as a result, they're not getting
1: what they value and in believe they they should get. And so if they change their behavior so often they think that's not being authentic. Well, no, your behavior is preventing you from getting what you want, which is really the thing that's not authentic. So if you learn how to adapt your behavior, your outward interactions with people your inner self you know who you are truly authentically can be much i'll give you an example i was speaking this was uh 2019 february of 2019 i was speaking in um, grand rapids michigan lots of cold and snow and and i was giving a a keynote presentation before a day i was going to do a day-long workshop and after the, the keynote, I, I had one of those people came up and was talking to me and she said, you know, I have a question. I'm a project manager and I have, I have five direct reports. And I feel like and she was originally from Slovenia. She was living in, in this country, but, you know, I could tell accomplished and, and intelligent and thoughtful. And she said, I have these five direct reports and I feel like I've come to the kind of the extent of, you know, my growth opportunity in this position. And so I applied to get a promotion and I didn't get it. And the person who got the promotion, I don't think was as competent or as talented as I was. And I'm just curious why you think I didn't get it. Now, of course, I don't know all the circumstances, Sure, so her, I asked her a, a few questions. I said, and just by talking to her, see, I'm, I'm also a behavioral analyst, and I've been doing this for many years, and I can tell a lot about her personality. And just by, by talking to her, I said, you're probably somebody that seeks to earn a position by earning it. In other words, you put your head down and hope you get noticed. She says, yeah, that's what I do. I said, you're not somebody that goes out there and promotes yourself and say, hey, this is why I deserve it. I'm, you know, f- you know, promote me or think of me, you know, self advocating, so to speak. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I wouldn't do that. And I go, I get that about you. I said, probably the person who got that position was much more willing to self advocate to put themselves out there. And it is very likely that the person who was making that higher decision, hiring decision above them was somebody that was not paying attention to you, Because their personality wasn't aligned with you. They were more looking for somebody like themselves who was willing to, say, speak up and self-advocate. And as a result of you being unwilling to get out of your comfort zone and speak up, now your five direct reports have a manager, including you, that's not as good as could have been if you would have been willing to get uncomfortable and speak up. See, I think that being authentic, that we will get what we always want. And somehow, if I speak up and self-advocate, that's not being who I am. Well, who you are is about protecting and being a great leader. But by being a certain way, you didn't put yourself out there in a way that actually
0: perpetuates what it is that you value and want.
1: Am I making sense?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I use this analogy. So <laughs> I've had these two guy friends for a long time and none of us got married till we were in our thirties. And so and we, you we ended were,
1: up with a good one. So it, it was worth the wait.
0: <laughs> well, they, they had some, they got some good ones too. So, but it was ironic because I noted that of the three of us, the, my, my buddy, John and I were kind of the most alike, more He had more of a sales background and were more outgoing. And my other friend, accountant, much more reserved. And I made this observation that I said, of the three of us, the third friend will by far make the best husband of the three of us. Yeah. But I don't know if he'll ever get married because women don't know he exists. Right. Like he's a terrible dater he'd be a great husband and so the irony is that the and yet on the other hand the the guy who's a let's call it an accomplished dater may actually not make a very good husband in terms of you know some of those character traits like longevity and you know reliance and fidelity and i think what you're saying is somewhat similar that it took a different skill set to get the job than it took to to do the job. That's right. That's right. And so you, what
1: happens is that you have to be willing to adapt and and I'm going to share one other fallacy and that is, well, I am who I am, right? This is just who I am really. Well, when, when was who you are, how you decided you were going to be like when you were in the fifth grade, Uh 12th grade, you know, uh, graduating last last week. week? I mean, because if if you're not progressing and developing and growing and changing, sometimes we think, you know, we have to just be this, this static person. You know, I learned a lot. I mean, one, so, so let me give you an example. How I opened my, my talk yesterday, talking about emotional intelligence that I changed. I said, you know, I was sitting in my office in 2013. I was just recently promoted to be the CEO of a leadership training and development company. And I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. I was the fourth CEO in the last five years. And through that last recession, we were struggling. And so I had a knock on my door and one of my best salespeople came in and sat down and said, Spencer, I don't think you're doing enough, you know, to get new trainers in here. It took us like a year to develop these trainers for these intensive workshops. And he says, I just don't think you're doing enough. And it's, I'm worried, you know, what's, what are you doing? And I said, and i had been working 80 hours a week david i had i, I had put my heart you know mind and soul into this i've been recruiting i'm like are you kidding me you don't i'm the ceo of the company said, are you telling me that i don't know what i'm doing i started getting short with him and defensive because of how hard i'd been working and how much stress i was under basically that conversation had him leave my office frustrated and demotivated when that was not my intention. My intention was, hmm. you know, I am working hard for you to turn this ship around. Just trust me. But because I was so frustrated and under pressure, I I, I hurt the relationship and, and it impacted negatively my employees uh, engagement. And that has real implications for the organization. So I started, you know, I tell that story because I've been there. And so the point, the point that I want to make here is that, my way of being, I am naturally someone who is dominant, who is controlling, who wants things their way. But because of how I was being as a leader in that organization, I was actually sabotaging my own success. See, I was really proud of the fact that I'm goal-oriented and good in getting things done, but none of us can get everything we need done by ourselves. We need teams teams in our families and our churches and our communities and our businesses. And the team is about One thing and one thing only, and that is producing results. The best teams, David, are able to do that sustainably again and again, not one month or one year, but year after year. And that means there has to be conditions on the team that create that sustainability, which is positivity. And that sounds so simple, but its you got to have at least five positive to every one negative interaction. And Mm -hmm. I just had like four negative interactions in one conversation with that employee. It needs to be reversed for them to be engaged and excited and enthusiastic. And so I had to learn, okay, my way of being is causing me to get triggered when things don't go exactly my way. That's the authenticity paradox. I wanted to win. I wanted to change that organization, but because of how I was being, I was preventing that from happening. So I had to Mm. learn to let go of some control and relax what is my authentic self? My authentic self is to make a difference is to change the world, not to Mm -hmm. act a certain way, but it's my values that I want to stay true to. And so if how I am being is preventing me from achieving
0: what's important to me, then I need to look at how I'm being and change that. Well, I appreciate the self reflection and the, uh, the insight and the lessons you learned from that, from that journey. That's, uh, that's really, uh, that's uh trust building right there. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Your willingness to, to be vulnerable. Let's, let's shift gears a bit and talk about your podcast, because that actually is the name of my podcast, Podcasting Stories. And so it looks like that you, you launched this just earlier this year, right? Or, or last year? No, we, we launched it in March or
1: end of February of 2020. And I think we, we put like two episodes in the can and, and then everything broke loose with the, with the pandemic. And so we had to kind of change the tenor and, you know, it was, I think it was something like, shut up, stop whining and start, start winning or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Okay. (laughs) So we changed that to team, the team performance podcast, winning ways for uncertain times. And we started in March of, of 2020 and, through last may, we we kind of took a pause in May. We did fifty, I don't know, probably fifty two episodes or something like that. There's still some that need to be done. and my my co-host is a uh, consultant for the International Olympic Committee. He's been working on the Olympics for twenty years. And so, you know, Japan had been postponed and he got just caught up in all the Olympics. and so we took a little break. but, We absolutely loved it. We had hosts from all over the world on it. We had a a world, we still have a a worldwide following and we're getting ready to restart. I think it's just a a great format, but I've learned so much in this last year and a half that we're doing it
0: a little differently going forward. You know, I didn't realize that you had multiple podcasts because I was looking at at the rise to the top. Oh, no, that's uh, a uh, that, leadership
1: podcast. That's a silly. I'm sorry. That's funny. Little thing is every once in a while, I have a client that has me speak at a conference and I'm like, all right, let's do you want to talk about it? And and I, they use that for that. That's kind of how we use that. But the team performance podcast, winning ways for uncertain times, that's you can actually find that on my website on the homepage and uh, but i don't host it my my co-host does he's been hosting that but that one that you see yes
0: i have multiple podcasts <laughs> <laughs> good yeah because i didn't catch that there was the second one and so i was going to ask you i was going to say you have a really different you know unique podcasting strategy that i've not noticed before and that is that you just take your keynote speeches. It appears that you record them and release them as a podcast episode. So I was going to ask you.
1: No, no. So are you, are you looking at like the, the YouTube videos?
0: I'm looking at the Apple podcast feed. And there's a podcast called Rise to the Top, the Altium Leadership
1: Podcast. Yes. And, and those are, for the most part, four those episodes. Are my- Yeah. Those four episodes are conversations with hosts of events where we're talking about my upcoming keynote. Oh, I see. Yes, exactly. So it is, you know, we're coming to talk to your organization. Why is this topic going to be relevant for your chapter members or whatever it is? And sometimes they need help promoting their events. And so I would say, Hey, well, I've got this little podcast And, and how I do it is we get on zoom and I actually record it on video, and then you can just upload the sound of it, or you can actually do the video. But right. my uh, co-host and I, that do the the Team Performance podcast, we started with a I can't remember what he used a, a podcasting tool, and then we went to Zoom, and now we're using what's called eCam, and we're going to use that to go. That's this is what's when we start again here in a few weeks, we will. Uh, go live on LinkedIn and social media and Facebook at the same time. So we'll actually publish our our podcast live, and then oh, wow. It. And so that's a new strategy we're we're going to try. So it's actually what I've had to do, David, is get all this technology, and we're literally producing a show while we're talking. You know, bumpers and music. So it does. We don't go in afterwards and do it all. We do it right then and there, and it's all preloaded. And Interesting. Yeah, and it's going to be, it's going to be, so yeah, to come on and be a guest and we'll have you on and see how it works.
0: Sure, would, would love to. Yeah, I'm just, I just looked it up right now. Yeah, ecam with two Ms. That's power, Powerful live streaming. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. That's uh, really sounds uh, uh, like you might be onto something here. It's
1: really amazing, David. And what you can do is, so I mean I have like switchers and multiple cameras. And a little studio. That's one of the things I've had to adapt in the speaking world because you know so many live events have been canceled. I've had to create a studio in in my home, and I can, I, those two keynotes I gave yesterday were completely virtual. But so many of those presentations are just people sitting at their desk and sharing their desktop. Mm-hmm. If you watch the recordings of someone, I'm standing, so you could see my torso from you know my waist up. And I'm actually giving a, a monologue, like you would a regular keynote, and then I transition, and then I share a, a second laptop that has slides, and I can do picture and picture. But with Ecamm. you can build some of those slides right in, and really do some interesting things with your imagery and your brand, with your logo, and where, hmm. and you can have music built right in. So you just press a button, and it starts a different camera. You press a button, it puts a you know a little sound bite in there.
0: It's fun. Wow, it sounds it sounds like it. Well, that's really interesting. What what are one of the things that you've enjoyed most about becoming a podcaster? Cuz I tell people, you know, all the time that having a podcast is like having a superpower, and I just I keep discovering new ways or new yeah, new ways that it is a superpower. What are some of the things you really enjoy? And then I'll tell you what I most enjoy about hosting podcasts. First of all,
1: I just, I truly enjoy my co-host. He, he is so opposite of me. He's, he's thoughtful, he's articulate. He's, so, he's so smart. <laughs> just the opposite of you. huh? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm the one who, is the talking head. But when he speaks, he's just so pithy and smart. And our guest, just, he's so good at asking questions and framing. And, and it's a gift to be able to listen to people and ask relevant questions. And he has that. I really enjoy that. The second thing is I love having guests. We've had some, we've had Scott um, Hamilton, you know, the Olympic skater on. Oh yeah. You know, just fantastic i mean just learning so much and having it's it's almost you know i feel selfish cuz it's just like the three of us just the three of us are, you know we're <laughs> right. we're on this uh having this conversation with amazing people and you know i've had some people that you know maybe have not been normally celebrities just regular people with stories that have just brought me to tears and so i th- i think that's what it is Providing something, again, that's relevant. The whole point is being relevant and, and having great people on there, just learning from them. And one of my values is constant development, learning, always learning. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this authenticity paradox is that, you know, to say this is who I am is it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Because you're changing from the day you were born embrace that and find the ways to bring out the best you. And sometimes that comes from hearing someone else
0: teach you something that you hadn't thought of before. I, I agree. I find, I promise you that I'd tell you what I most enjoy and it's very similar. It's that I love giving people a platform to tell their story Yeah, because it's really a rare thing because if you're just in social conversation, I forget who it was that said, you know, talk about yourself and people grow weary after a couple minutes, but let them talk about themselves and they'll talk all night. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, and there's some truth to that, but if people have a certain self-awareness, if you're in a social setting and you've been talking for 20 minutes straight, you'll naturally you know, say, well, but enough about me, you know, tell me about yourself. And what's neat about the podcast is they have the permission for it to be all about them, or right. at, l- at least I offer them that, that permission. And I find it to be just really interesting that the stories I've heard and the people who have, you know, told me that they've, you know, shared it like that their children or grandchildren have like heard the episode and they've given them feedback like, like I didn't know that about you, dad or granddad. Right. And, and even after they're gone, there'll be a, at least an oral record of at least 45 minutes of their life thanks to the podcast. And so that's the part that I enjoy the most is being able to let people tell their stories. I think that's so fantastic. And my
1: co-host actually has a, a business that he started called uh, Life Stories. Oh, I can't remember. It's called something. That's what he does is he's created these chapters. It's not business-related. It's life-related. It's, right. it's so amazing. But you're talking about what I was saying. You're not just connecting. You are being relevant. And you're giving a gift when you bring a guest on and you give them that platform, listening to people. And providing this valuable platform that you are providing for them is a gift. And that's that was the whole point of me getting into speaking, right, was to give value mm-hmm. so that people would then say, well, what else do they – maybe there's something else they can do. And, and then we develop a relationship. And that's
0: what you're doing with this podcast, I believe. Well, I, I try to I, I appreciate the feedback. I cannot believe how fast the time has, has gone. So I have two more questions. So one is what I call the curveball question that I learned, I think from Tim Ferris. And so the question is, if you could go back in time and give advice to your 25-year-old self, what advice might you give with the perspective of the additional? Decades that you didn't have. So, th- what advice would you, would you give to your younger self, mm, boy?
1: Focus less on on the things and and more on the relationships and the experiences. I mean, I, I feel like early on I was so focused on climbing and getting, and you know, the focus was internal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it's there's there's a truth that is taught in in scripture and that is when you know when you find your life that's where you lose it when you lose your life in the service mm-hmm. of others, that's how you find it and, and it goes beyond just you know this existential setting it is you know i think it's an eternal principle as we give our lives in the service of others that that's a, a life that that continues on and on and i i struggled with that principle and so i i think that i coveted and feared too much mm. and so to let go of that and to just that's uh, to me that's part of just being real and present i mean think about you know that ties into the whole idea of speaking sometimes we want to just get up there and, and prove that hey i'm so smart i'm so knowledgeable and we're not being relevant
0: Mm-hmm. No, I I love that. One of the reasons I love that question is most people's reactions like yours, it it kind of throws them for a loop and it forces them to come up with something. And I find the answer they give is so authentic because like they don't have like a script right. that they can rely upon. <laughs> and they have to like the only option to avoid the social embarrassment of not answering it is like you just have to go with like your gut and just like, you know, and come up with something quickly. So I love that focus less on things, more in relationships and experiences. I would agree. So my last question is, well, I guess I have one and a half questions. <laughs> one, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wish we had or anything we didn't cover that you wish we had? Mm. No, I don't, I, you know, I can't think so uh, of anything. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's an acceptable answer. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I, I'm uh, just so satisfied with our conversation that I'm like, I'm just happy. Okay. Well, the last question is if, how do people get a hold of you? Do you, you'd mentioned your 30,000 LinkedIn uh, contacts. <laughs> so I'm guessing you accept LinkedIn recommendations. I do. Yes. I, 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 if
1: I feel like someone today is going to sell me something, cause that's a lot of times what happens. Somebody connects right. on LinkedIn and then they're right away. Hey, do you need this? Yeah. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. Don't do that. Um, right. But it, it's, I don't always accept those, but you can find me on LinkedIn, Spencer Horn. I'm it, pretty easy to find there. best way to email me or go to Altium, A L T I U M leadership.com, Altium leadership.com or email me at Spencer S P E N C E R at Altium leadership.com.
0: Well, that is great. Well, Hey, I really appreciate you taking time out of, on a, you know, late afternoon on a Friday as you're about to head off to the mountains to carve out time to talk. This has been really interesting and I've learned a lot and you've really given me some things to, to think about. So I really appreciate the time. Oh my goodness David I
1: appreciate your time and your thoughtful questions and your just your generosity for putting this on
0: thank you Oh you are welcome And there we have it another great episode Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team if you have ever considered having your own podcast Head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.